chapter 12. If you're ready to dive into God's word, would you say amen? Luke 12, and we'll start reading in verse number 16 this morning. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a Bible in the seat back in front of you. And if you don't own a Bible, that Bible is our gift to you. And uh, we'll have many of the verses on the screen today as well. But Luke chapter 12, verse number 16, the Bible says this, and he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. Everybody say greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Watch this. Take thine ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. What did this man desire? The good life. I just want to be able to relax, take my knees, eat, drink, be merry. He was searching for the good life. But God said unto him, thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Today, I want to bring a message that I'm calling this happy hunting. Everybody turn to your neighbor and say happy hunting. Let's have a word of prayer together today. God, thank you so much for this day that you've given us. God, thank you for the work that you're doing in our church. Thank you for all those that have prayed to accept Christ over the last several weeks. God, we want to give you all the praise and all the honor and glory from it. Lord, I pray that we can have a holy focus and attention today on your word God, I pray that you would fill me with your spirit to give me the words to say today that would be helpful uh, and beneficial for us. God, I pray that we would be a church that's on the move, that we would not be characterized by stagnation, but by forward momentum that is fueled by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, I pray that we would seek to uh, learn this morning and leave this place differently. We love you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said today, a couple of weeks ago, I was checking the mail at our house, and one of the things that we received in the mail was this magazine, and it's Lakeshore Gifts for Growing Minds for Kids, this kids' magazine filled with all kinds of uh, toys and different items for children, and I thought it was interesting because I did not request for this magazine, we did not order this magazine, Katie did not order this magazine, but my kids got a hold of this magazine, and my kids got a hold of this magazine, uh, specifically my two younger children, uh, Luke and Blakely. And I saw them kind of uh, skimming through this magazine. And what they were doing was they got out a Sharpie and they literally circled and initialed everything that they wanted for Christmas in this magazine. And uh, uh, they were just over there keeping themselves busy, all kinds of stuff. Uh, a dinosaur set, an airplane set, a makeup kit, a, a tool set, all these things. They, they just circled each one and wrote their name uh, next to it that they wanted this. And then they kind of just gave me the magazine like, you've got a job to do. Here you go, you know. And, uh, you know, some of these things, they didn't even know what they were just minutes before and now all of a sudden it's all that they can think about and you know the reality is is we live in a culture today that is constantly bowing down to the gods of want and materialism things that we want things that we desire as human beings we have this insatiable desire for more constantly wanting what's next. I recently uh, read a a business uh, article by Harvard Business Review, and they did this massive study. Uh, They cited this massive study that took place over 30 years, 
over uh, 27 different European countries, surveying, I think, upwards of a million people. And the title of this article was, Advertising is Making Us Unhappy. Advertising is Making Us Unhappy. And they surveyed all these different people, and they concluded that the more money that a country will spend on advertising, uh, the more uh, unsatisfied that the people were the next year. And so the more they, it, they were advertising and marketing, uh, the more that the people were actually unsatisfied. Why? Because we have this insatiable desire for more. We constantly want more. We want what's next. We want what's new. And we're constantly looking ahead, trying to find what is going to bring us happiness, what is going to bring us satisfaction. Now, over the last couple of weeks, we've mentioned a few different times, uh, we've mentioned this, this Old Testament character, Solomon. How many of you are familiar with Solomon? And uh, Solomon was the wisest man to ever live other than Jesus. And Solomon was searching and hunting for happiness. He was searching for the meaning of life. And Solomon gives us great and profound insight, insight and wisdom uh, to living the good life. And he said this in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse number 4. He said, again, I considered all the travail and every right work That for this a man is envied of his neighbor. This is also vanity and vexation of spirit. And when the Bible says vexation of spirit and vanity, it's talking about chasing the wind. This is just meaningless. It's just uh, chasing after uh, the wind. It's vanity. Uh, And he says, why? He says, uh, no matter how many blessings I had, no matter how many accomplishments that I had achieved in my life, I I was not happy because I was envious of my neighbor. Uh, I was constantly looking this way and constantly looking that way. And I was pretty content with the projects that I had completed until I saw the projects that they completed. And I was doing pretty good with the house that I had until I saw the house that they had. And I really liked my car. I thought it was a good car until I saw the car that they had. And he said, I'm constantly going back and forth. And that was disrupting the happiness and, and, and the meaningful nature of my life. And so he goes on the next verse and he says something interesting in Ecclesiastes 4 verse number 5. He says, the fool foldeth his hands together. And so he says, the answer is not uh, to just sit back and to be lazy and to kind of fold my hands together, and I'm never going to work hard. I'm never going to accomplish anything. I'm never going to pursue anything. And so he says, don't think uh, that you should just sit back and fold your hands and and not be aggressive and be lazy with your life. He said, here's a better option, verse number 6. He says, better, Ecclesiastes 4, 6, better is a handful with quietness, with peace, with tranquility, than both The hands full with travail and vexation of spirit. Again, chasing the wind. He says it's better to have less with a little bit of contentment than it is to have both hands full, but you're just chasing the wind and you're just chasing after vanity. What is he saying? That the good life cannot be lived aside from contentment. And so the good life is actually not about consumption, but it is all about contentment. And so the Bible talks often about how we should cultivate a life of contentment. Fast forward to the New Testament. Everybody with me this morning? Fast forward to the New Testament. uh, 1 Timothy 6.6 says this. But godliness, everybody say godliness. So not worldliness. That's not the goal. Uh, But godliness with contentment is great gain. Great gain. The uh, The word gain means to acquire something. It's an acquisition. It means you're going to uh, obtain something, to acquire or to obtain. And I love this because a life of contentment is actually about great gain. Uh, A life of contentment is not a miserable life. It's not a mundane life. It's not a boring life. It's not, man, I can't even pursue any of my dreams. I can't even pursue any of the things that, uh, that God has put on my heart and kind of just take a back seat. No, a life of contentment is actually the best life possible. It's actually a life of more. There need to be, there needs to be some followers of Jesus that would recognize and say, you know, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Because I have Jesus, I have everything that I need. 
And so uh, we are going to talk this morning for a few minutes about this idea of contentment. And to do that, we're going to unpack Luke chapter 12. And so I want to encourage you to keep your Bible uh, open and ready today. Luke chapter 12 begins with Jesus teaching, and he's teaching to large crowds. In fact, at the first part of Luke chapter 12, uh, we see thousands of people gathering around Jesus. And Jesus is teaching on some heavy subjects. He's teaching about uh, some heavy things like the blaspheming of the Holy Spirit, the unpardonable sin. And so he has this crowd gathering around him. He's teaching on some heavy subjects. And then somebody in the crowd that day, decides that they have something to say that's important, and they decide to interrupt Jesus. While he's giving his sermon, while Jesus is talking, someone decides they're going to interrupt. Now, uh, I've been interrupted many times when I've been preaching before. I've preached in uh, different places. I've preached in different countries, and people shouting things back out uh, at me, interrupting. But to interrupt Jesus is a whole nother level, right? And so this guy decides that he's going to interrupt Jesus, and the interjection takes place in verse 13. I want you to see it. Verse 13. And one of the company said unto him, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. And so clearly this man wasn't really listening to what Jesus was saying. He wasn't listening to the things that Jesus was talking about. But he had one thing on his mind. My brother owes me an inheritance. He owes me some money. And and Jesus, this person, seems like he has a little bit of authority. And I need a man with authority to tell my brother to pay up to give me that money. And so he interjects, interrupts the sermon, and says, Jesus, tell my brother to pay up. Notice verse 14. And he said unto him, man... Who, who made me a judge or a divider over you? Jesus says, uh, what do you think? This isn't Judge Judy. This isn't the people's court. Who, who made me a judge? Like, like, this is not even what we're talking about here. And Jesus responds by giving one of the strongest warnings and admonitions in all of Scripture. How many of you believe that when Jesus issues a strong warning, his followers ought to pay attention to what that warning is? Okay, so let's see what the warning is. Verse 15, you with me? And he said unto them, take heed and beware of covetousness. Take heed and beware. It's a twofold warning. Take heed and beware of covetousness. The word take heed, those words in the Greek is one word, horeo, and it means to really understand, to really perceive something. And so Jesus is saying, I really want you to understand this. Take heed and beware. The Greek word there is philoso. It means to guard, to protect against. And so Jesus is issuing this warning saying, you really need to understand this. You really need to get this. You really need to understand and guard against the danger of covetousness. And we are living in a culture that is being more and more defined by want and materialism. And we have uh, this covetousness that is plaguing us and keeping us from the good life that Jesus wants us to experience. Covetousness. We're not living lives of contentment. And so Jesus is, is going to address this issue head on. Now, there's two ways that we can define covetousness. One is constantly grasping for more. Like, I just want something new. I want something next. And I'm constantly grasping for more. But there's another definition for covetousness that we don't often talk about, and that is grasping too tightly to what we already have. I'm not willing to be generous. I'm not willing to be generous with my time, talent, treasure. And so we're grasping too tightly to what we already have. Alexander McLaren said this, covetousness or the greedy clutching at more and more earthly good has its roots in us all, everyone. So this morning, this is not a matter of what tax bracket you find yourself in, okay? All of us today uh, have roots of covetousness within us. And unless there is the most assiduous weeding, 
it will overrun our whole nature. And so this morning, I thought it'd be appropriate for us to pick some weeds. Would that be okay? To take a look within and to discover and determine where in my life would I be tempted towards covetousness and how can I really cultivate a life of contentment? Because if we can learn to cultivate a life of contentment, we will truly experience the good life. Are you ready today? I want to give us four, four ways that we can do this if you're taking notes. Number one, you have to consider what you already have. If you want to cultivate contentment and live the good life that Jesus has to offer, you have to consider what you already have. Now, let's start it in verse number 16. Notice what it says. It says in verse 16, and he spake a parable unto them. A parable is a little story with a big idea. Jesus often spoke uh, in parables. It's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, and he would do this to get the attention of the audience. He spoke a parable unto them, saying, the ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. Now, it would be a grave mistake for us to think, well, I don't need to listen any further because I'm not rich, and I'm not a rich man. But I want you to know today, and we have to understand this before we go any further, um, historically and globally, we are the rich. If you have a toilet, if you have running water, if you have electricity on a global standard, you are rich. And so we have to recognize, first and foremost, we are blessed beyond measure, Okay, And we have to consider the blessings that God has given to us. And so the certain rich man. Now, I believe also whenever you're talking about poor and rich in Scripture, it's, it's important to make some distinctions. Okay, uh, Would it be okay if I taught a little bit this morning on this for a second? And so we see that there are four distinctions that we must make when it comes to poor and rich. First, there is the righteous rich. The righteous rich. That is someone that obtains their wealth through a good means. And uh, they're generous, they're kind, and they want to help people. And so they have money, they have wealth, but they are righteous with that money. The righteous rich. Then there would be the unrighteous rich. They're greedy, they want more, they're, they're, they're stingy with their money, they're not going to bless anyone else, they're trying to accumulate more and more for themselves. And so there's the righteous rich, there's the unrighteous rich. Then there's the righteous poor. Hey, they don't have a lot, but they're generous with what they have. The widow's might. She didn't have a lot, but she gave what she had. And so there's the righteous poor. And then there would be the unrighteous poor. They don't have a lot, but they're also lazy. Whatever they have, they're going to hoard to themselves. And so they're not stewarding what little God has given them to the glory of God. And so we have to understand that when it comes to money, it's not really a matter of rich and poor. It's a matter of righteous and unrighteous. Are we stewarding what God has given us for his glory? Okay, and so we see the certain rich man had a ground and he had land that, that brought forth plentifully, plentifully. Now, that word means to abound. It's actually uh, where we get our, our word euphoric, to have joy, to have happiness. And he uh, had this ground that brought forth plentifully. He was living the good life. He was a person of means. And I want to say there's nothing wrong with having means. Uh, all throughout the scripture, we see uh, different people that had resources, that had wealth, and they used that wealth for God's glory and honored God with that money. The problem with this rich man was not that he had money or that he was a man of means. The problem was he failed to recognize where that blessing came from. Where did it come from? Where did the euphoria come from? We have to recognize in our lives that any blessing, any good thing, any euphoria comes from above. <laughs> that God has blessed us. That God has given us everything in our lives. In fact, the Bible says this in Deuteronomy 8 verse 18. But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth. And so it's God that even gives us the ability uh, to even uh, have the work ethic and have the mind and the desire to even get wealth. It's God that gives it to us. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. I wonder, when was the last time in your life you paused to take inventory 
and to thank God for the blessings that he's already given you. And to thank God for the things that he's already placed in your life. A lot of times we're asking God for more and more, and God says, you're not utilizing or thankful for what I've already given you. Woodrow Kroll said this, concentrate on counting your blessings, and you'll have little time to count anything else. See, I think if some followers of Jesus would just pause for a second and just think about how much God has given you when it comes to salvation, we would recognize and realize that we have a lot to praise him for. We have a lot to thank him for. Hey, the fact that you have a home in heaven, the fact that you have a real relationship with Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, the fact that you have the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit within you, the fact that you have the word of God to lead you, to guide you, to direct you, the fact that you have a community of people around you that can support you and love you called the local church. Hey, we have a lot to be thankful for. Is anybody thankful for all of the blessings that God has given us in our lives? Ephesians puts it this way in Ephesians 3 verse 8, unto me who am less than the least of all saints is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles, watch this, the unsearchable riches of Christ. This morning, congratulations, you're rich. We have so many blessings in life. We have to pause and to consider what God has already blessed us with and to consider what God has already given us. Charles Spurgeon said this, as long as I am alive and out of hell, I have no reason to complain. And so we have reason to be grateful. And so number one, we have to consider what we already have. Here's the second thought today, number two. And this one might sting a little bit, okay? Uh, Number two, stop going to yourself for counseling. You need to stop going to yourself for counseling, all right? Everybody with me? Here it is, verse 17. And he thought within himself. And he thought within himself. He started to talk to himself. He started to think to himself. He started to listen to himself. Can I tell you some of the worst counsel that you will ever receive in your life will come from yourself? When you start really thinking and talking to yourself and start listening to yourself. Because newsflash, you're a little bit biased towards your situation. Warren Wiersbe said this, real contentment must come from within. You and I cannot change or control the world around us, but we can change and control the world within us, the thoughts that we think. Now, the word thought in verse number 17, and he thought within himself, is in the imperfect tense. And without going through a whole Greek class together, all that means is it's in the continual sense that he kept on thinking. It wasn't just a one-time thought like, oh, I had a bad thought. Uh, Lord, forgive me of that thought. No, it means that he was continually thinking that. Like money was on his mind continually. He was like Mr. Wonderful from Shark Tank. It was all about money. All he thought about was money. It was, it was something that he kept on thinking. Not a one-time thought. It was continual. That was what was on his mind. He, he kept on thinking, how can I How can I get more money? How can I build bigger barns for all the stuff that I have? See, it's not about when it comes to consumerism, when it comes to materialism, when it comes to covetousness, it's not actually about what you possess. It's about how you process what you possess. I'll say it again. It's not about what you possess. It's about how you process what you possess, how you are thinking in terms of the things that you have. Are you thinking, I want to make more money and I want to get a raise because I want to sponsor a child, because I want to buy a Christmas box for someone in need, because I want to give more money, or is it just because I want to have more comfort for myself? What are our thoughts? Uh, Are we thinking of how we can be more generous, or are we thinking about how we can build bigger barns for ourselves? This is this man's struggle. It was in the mind. 
Psalms 139, verse number 2 says this, Thou knowest my downsitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. See, God knows our thoughts. He knows the intents of our, of our minds and our hearts uh, even from a distance. Philippians 2 says this, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. And so it's not about accumulating my status and my wealth and, and my uh, desires, but the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And so if we are serious about living the contented life and serious about living the good life, we have to stop going to ourselves for counseling and start going to God's word and going to godly advisors and going to people that have wisdom and experience and say, okay, this is what I'm thinking. Can I get some real counsel? And so it's not just about what we think and what we're saying to ourselves. This leads us to the third thought. Number three is this. You have to align your plans with God's will. Take your plans and make sure the plans that I'm planning, are they in alignment with the will of God? Are they in alignment with the plan that God has for my life? How many of you are planners? Anybody like that? You like to plan? You like to chart out a schedule? How many of you are not a planner? Just kind of, hey, whatever happens, happens. And okay. And I enjoy planning. I like to plan. I like to chart out uh, the schedule. In fact, a couple of weeks ago, Katie and I were going to get away for uh, one night. And we were in a busy season. And we thought, man, let's find a babysitter. Let's try to get away. Uh, for one night, and we were not even going to be gone for a full 24 hours, but I typed up an itinerary, and I sent it to Katie and said, here's how we're going to maximize this time together, and I had a full plan for that. And then one of our kids got sick, and we had to drive home a few hours later, and never even got to uh, go on the trip anyways. Uh, but I like to plan. I like to enjoy planning things, and there's nothing wrong with planning. I think that there's a, a good biblical model for planning in certain situations, but we have to make sure that our plans are in alignment with God's plans. And the plans that we're thinking are not just to fulfill our own desires and to make life a little bit more easy for me and a little bit more convenient for me, but are the plans that I'm planning in alignment with God's plan? Because I want you to see what this man does. Everybody with me? Verse 17, he said, and he thought within himself, so he started started to counsel himself, saying, what shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, this will I do. So he has a plan, okay? This is what I'm going to do. I will pull down my barns, and I'm going to build greater. And there will I bestow my fruits and my goods, and I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. And so he started to plan. He started to make his plans. Here's what I want you to see about his plans. These plans completely omitted God, completely omitted anything spiritual. In fact, I want you to notice and observe. Do you have your Bible open? I want you to observe how self-centered this plan was. Okay, let's look at it. Verse 17. We'll start there. Actually, verse 18. He said, this will I do. I will pull down my barns. There will I bestow my fruits, my goods. Verse 19. I will say to my soul, take thine ease. Do you see how this plan was all about me, mine, I? See, at the heart of every covetous person is a self-centered nature. It's all about me. It's all about what I want. See, James talked about this in the New Testament in James chapter 4. He says, hey, you can make plans, but make sure that you say, if the Lord will, if God wills, then I'll do this or that. Hey, it's not wrong to make plans. Just make sure that you're including God in your plans. 
and that you're not just seeking to do, hey, whatever I want to do. Now, this plan had a couple of good things. This plan had a couple of interesting things. Productivity. How many of you like to be productive? Anybody like that? Like a good to-do list, right? Sometimes you'll get something done and just add that to your to-do list just so you can check something off the box, right? Uh, being productive. He said, I'm going to tear down uh, barns. I'm going to build greater, bigger. Uh, I-, I need more space to store all of my stuff. Did you know that in the United States, there are, there are 14,000, over 14,000 McDonald's? Now, there's a lot of McDonald's everywhere in the United States. It seems like almost on every corner, right? Like there's a McDonald's, there's a McDonald's. But what's interesting is while there are 14,000 McDonald's in the United States, there are over 48,000 storage facilities in the United States. Can I tell you what that is? Bigger barns. We live in a culture and a society that we have a lot of stuff. We can't fit all of our stuff in our house. We can't fit all the stuff that we have in garages. And so we need to go and rent storage facilities 48,000 of them are built, over 48,000, because we have a lot of stuff, right? And what does this man want to do? Build bigger barns. Ecclesiastes 5.10, he that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver, nor he that loveth abundance with increase. This is also vanity. And so bigger barns is not the answer if you're searching for meaning in life and happiness. This was a plan of productivity. It was also a plan of pleasure. Notice verse 19. He says, and I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Now, this man's retirement package was a one-way ticket to hedonism. It was, I just want to eat, drink, live it up, YOLO, you only live once. Let's make the most of it. Let's just have a good time. Just want to party, live it up, eat, drink, be merry. But this is what the Bible says, and I want you to really zero in on this. Philippians 3.19, whose end is destruction, watch this, whose God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things, whose God is their belly. That means that many people will make their desires and their appetite an idol in their lives whose God is their belly. When we're constantly searching for more and constantly wanting more and we have this appetite and this desire, this urge to get more done and we want to have more things and accumulate more status, we want to accumulate more uh, possessions, accumulate more wealth, and we have this drive, be very careful that that does not become an idol in your life. This is what we have to recognize. Whenever there is a wanting problem, there's always a worshiping problem. Are we worshiping the created more than the creator? whose God is their belly. Romans 1.25, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worship and serve the creature more than the creator, who is blessed forever, amen. And so we have to be very careful about prioritizing the wrong things in our lives. And so this leads us to a fourth thought today. Number four is this. We have to learn to prioritize giving and not getting. All right? Prioritize giving and not getting. All right, notice verse number 20. But God said unto him, thou fool, This night, by the way, the word fool is translated senseless. He says, this isn't smart. God said to him, thou fool, this night. See, he was planning to build bigger barns. He was planning years. He was planning his retirement. I just wanted to take it easy. But God said, hey, this night. There was a sense of urgency. He says, this night thy soul shall be required of thee, then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided. See, the man in this story forgot three things. He forgot three things. He forgot God. He forgot others. 
and he forgot his own mortality. Jesus says this night, Mark 8, 36, for what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? He says this night, are you investing into eternity or are you investing into temporary? He says at the end of verse number 20, he says, then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? What's it really gonna matter in eternity? All those things that you accumulate, all those things that you desire, what's it really gonna matter in all of eternity? And so I believe that Jesus is issuing and offering this strong warning for us today to run from greed and to run towards generosity. Remember, he said, take heed, beware. I want you to understand, to guard against this, a strong warning, run from greed, run to generosity. Now, how can we live a generous life? I believe one way that we can live a generous life is to determine that we're gonna be faithful in giving tithes and offerings to the local church. Now, if you're visiting today, if this is your first time, uh, we, we don't talk about uh, this on a weekly basis, but we do believe the Bible has much to say about giving. Because where your treasure is, there will your heart be also, right? And so God is not interested in our money. He's interested in our heart, and, and your heart will always follow your money, right? And so we believe in the principle of the tithe. Now, what does tithe mean? Tithe is uh, simply a word that means tenth, okay? And we see it in the Old Testament, uh, many examples of the tithe. But, you know, if we're going to be fair, actually the tithe went way beyond 10% in the Old Testament, right? There was 10% to God. There was 10% to uh, festivals and feasts, 3% to the poor, and 2% to events and different things. They would give upwards of 25% of their income away. Now we come to the New Testament and Jesus doesn't talk so much in terms of percentages, but he uses words like generosity, sacrifice, being cheerful when it comes to giving. The Bible says this in 2 Corinthians 9, verse number six, but this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. And he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or necessity because I have to, for God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. When we're happy and honored and delighted to serve and delighted to be generous with our time, talent, treasure, are we investing for here or are we investing in all of eternity? Because I want to let you know that when you are faithful to give to the local church, that you can give to the local church, and we're going to give through the local church. And as a young church, as a new church, we're already supporting five different missionaries around the world because we believe in the power of the gospel message. And we believe that there are people in our city and in our community that need the gospel message. There are people all over the world that need to know about the life-giving, life-changing message of Jesus. I believe that's an investment worth making. And we want to have fruit that abounds to our account. It's not so we can build bigger barns. It's so more people can be reached with the gospel. We really believe in a heaven and we really believe in hell, then we should be mobilized to action. We can't just sit back on our hands. We have to do what God has called us to do. It's not about us running to greed. It's about running towards generosity. Because notice how Jesus concludes. Verse 21, everybody with me? He says, so is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. A focus on self or a focus on God. Hebrews 13 says, let your conversation, let your lifestyle be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. Why? Because he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. If you have Jesus, you have everything that you need to live a life of godliness and contentment. You will either be defined by your contentment or you will be destroyed by your consumption. 
I was reading this week about the eagle. The eagle is a beautiful bird. I think we have a picture this morning of an eagle catching a fish in flight. You know, one of the most common ways, now of course eagles are protected, but one of the most common ways for an eagle to die is by drowning. And the reason is an eagle is a very light bird and when it's in flight, it can only carry half of its weight. And so sometimes when an eagle is hunting, hunting for satisfaction, hunting for that next meal, it'll go down and it'll grab a fish and that fish might be too heavy. But because the eagle wants that meal and is searching for that satisfaction, it'll hold on too tightly. And it'll actually bring the eagle down and it will drown, destroyed by its own appetite. See, we can be defined by contentment or we will be destroyed by consumption. That's why Jesus said, take heed and beware. He said, we're not playing games here. This is important. And so this morning, I want to encourage you. We can live the contented life. We can live the good life. We can be content with such things as we have because he will never leave us and he will never forsake us. Aren't you thankful for that today? Let's stand together as we close.